Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. Uh, Mark six fourteen to 29, John the Baptist beheaded. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want, to give you, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this... John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Well, we've just celebrated Easter and we have taken a bit of a pause from our series on the Gospel of Mark in the past three or four weeks because we wanted to focus on the lead up to to Easter in that the narrative which comes at the end of the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John. And so we're heading now back into our series this morning, The Crown and the Cross, looking at the Gospel of Mark um, sequentially, and we're up to chapter 6. And you might have noticed, um, as you heard the story that Kate just read to us from Mark 6, that at first glance, he doesn't seem to have much to say about Jesus. In fact, the story doesn't even include Jesus in it. But as we take a look at the story together today, um, we're going to see that Mark is recording this story, the story of John's death, to tell us some important things about who Jesus is and to tell us some really important things about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. Now, I have memories of reading this story as a child. I'm one of those people who grew up in the church um, and read, read, read this story as a child. And I have memories of being completely grossed out by this story. I don't know how you found this story growing up if you were someone that grew up in the church. 
Um, but it's, it's just day to day when our Seeds kids are here with us in church. And so I'm going to do my best to do like a for general audience telling of this scripture, um, which is sensitive, um, in all seriousness, to the fact we've got all ages in church today, which is super amazing and such a blessing for us. And I love having our kids in. It's so good. Um, and just the way they participate in the life of our church. How amazing is it? Just the way that our kids participate so fully. But there is some helpful things to know as we, as we jump into the story, some helpful background that is really important to know as we think to understand this story a bit better. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background. One of the main players in the passage is a guy called Herod Antipas. Wouldn't you just like to have that name? It's a pretty cool name. He wasn't officially a king, but really for all intents and purposes, he was seen as a king. He was the ruler of Galilee and Herod had arrested John the Baptist. And he had him put in prison. Um, and the reason that he'd arrested him was because Herod had married his brother's wife, which was a complete no-no. And Herod's, um, Herod's wife was named Herodias, also a cool name. And because John had opposed Herod and gone to Herod and opposed this marriage, um, Herod... Um, knew that John had this, this opposition to him and had approached him with this opposition. And Herodias, the wife, put pressure on Herod to have John killed. But she wasn't actually able to convince Herod to have John killed because Herod respected John. So this um, scenario has all the elements for Hollywood drama in it, doesn't it? There's, there's you know, there's a sense of, of um, tension that builds in the passage and that, that we can read as we read this passage. And it's in our passage today that all this tension which has been you know, leading up and growing reaches a tipping point. Mark records for us in Mark 6 that Herod hosted a birthday party. It was an event where all of these things transpire together. If the party had happened today, then it would have been all over Twitter. There would have been a hashtag that was like Herod B-Day or something really brief. Um, but it would have had its own hashtag and, and there would have been instant, moment-by-moment moment updates about what was happening at this birthday party. Mark tells us that at this party, Herodias' daughter comes in and does this dance for the king. Now, we can only imagine, like I said, G-rated sermon, what this would have looked like. We, we don't really know. Mark doesn't really tell us. But Herod, we know from the passage, liked Herodias' daughter's dancing. And so Herod says, I will grant you one wish. He says, you can have anything you want. And Herodias' daughter goes to her mother, Herodias, and says, well, what should I ask for? And of course, because Herodias has this grudge against John, she seizes this opportunity, this is her moment, to say what you need to ask for is to have Herod kill John, have him killed. Um, and Herod, we read, is greatly distressed to find out this is the one thing that she is coming wanting because Herod feared John and he knew he was a man of God and he knew some of the things that he said and did and he had a lot of time for him. And he'd already before um, not gone through with the death of John and this is the second time that it's coming forward and it seems like he's going to have to go through with it. Why does he have to go through with it? Well, Mark tells us that 
he had made this oath in front of everyone um, to go through with whatever it was that this um, Herodias' daughter had asked for. The lesson we learn right here in this passage is that the pressure to please people was greater than the desire to please God. Such an important lesson and one that we can actually apply straight away to our lives. When do I succumb to the pressure to please people over my desire and knowledge that I want to please God? Such a fantastic takeaway from this passage. Now, um, as I said, see children in here with us this morning, which is awesome. Um, but, um, but we want to also sense the gravity of this passage. And so what I hope we do today is to take away some of what is so momentous about this passage and what Mark and what Jesus desires to teach us through this word of God this morning. Um, the reaction that I had as a girl, as a younger girl, of gross, being completely grossed out at the idea of John's head being on a you know, ladder type thing is a, the right reaction. Because this, this story isn't just a headline-grabbing, um, you know, made-believe made story, but it's a real biographical account of somebody's final days of their life, recorded for us in the pages of Scripture, the Word of God, which speaks to us today. And this story teaches us, teaches us that there is a cost to our apprenticeship to Jesus. There is a cost to our apprenticeship to Jesus. John's death points to and prefigures and looks forward to the death of Jesus that's going to happen and that's going to be laid out in Mark 8 to 16, a whole week of Jesus' life over those eight chapters of Mark. But John's death also points for us to the reality that hardship, trial and suffering are part of the Christian life. Now, we've just celebrated Easter. Last Good Friday, we journeyed with Jesus to the cross in the Passion narrative, which was so powerful to move through as a church together, wasn't it? And the story of Easter and this story here in Mark 6 speak to us of the reality that suffering will be part of the journey if we're going to say yes to following Jesus. Of course, the suffering that we will endure and experience will not parallel the suffering of Jesus that he endured is he took the sin and the brokenness of the whole world, of all of creation, on his shoulders. And I can almost guarantee you that none of us will be asked to die for our faith, as John the Baptist did. But the reality is God does not always protect us, his people, from disaster or trial. Setbacks for God's people are part of the normal journey of faith. And even suffering is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. A couple of chapters later in Mark, in Mark 8.45, Jesus calls the crowd around him to him and he calls his disciples and he says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Following Jesus means taking up our cross. And it's important that we understand that the setbacks and trials we experience in life, they don't mean that God is weak or that God is unconcerned with our situation. 
In fact, the power of the Easter story speaks right in to that truth and speaks the truth that God has identified with our suffering in his most harrowing death, the, the cross of Jesus. And so what I felt to share today was this reality that Jesus transforms our trials. He transforms our trials because of who Jesus is and all he has done for us in entering into death for us. He transforms our trials into something beautiful. The good news of Easter is that God takes the most unkind death in all of history. And out of that death, And out of the sadness and the grief, he creates a new humanity. As Janet has just shared in communion, he creates us to be new. He makes us new. And he makes a way for every single person in all of humanity to be brought back into relationship with our creator, our father. And in our lives, Jesus transforms our trials. He enters into our trials. And like the storybook I shared found. He is at work with us. He is alongside us. He is with us. He refines us. He matures us through the hard stuff. During uh, the last few weeks before we baptised Tiff, um, some of the conversations we shared were just um, just awesome, talking about baptism and what it was going to mean and, and what would happen afterwards came up. And, and Tiff shared that um, that some things that you know had come to her mind were that maybe there'd be a, a time of trial that would happen after her baptism. That was one of the questions that we threw around together. Maybe there'd be a wilderness season or a desert season that would happen in the now, post-Easter, post-Tiff's baptism and declaration of faith before church last Sunday, which was just so powerful. And I want to say, yes, it could be that that there is a wilderness season ahead for Tiff, a desert season ahead. There may not be. We don't know. But the important thing to remember and the thing we spoke about was to keep front and centre the reality that Jesus is for us and he is with us. And Jesus transforms all the hard things of our lives and the hard seasons into something beautiful. And so, um, and so I hope that's an encouragement to us, church, this morning. Um, as I prayed through this passage and as I prayed for you, church, this week, um, I felt that I asked God, what does our church need? What does our church need? Because I want to speak each Sunday into the context of, of here and you and us and who we are as a community. And as I prayed for our church this week, I sensed God gave me a word for our church. Which is really exciting because God is speaking all the time. We want to hear his voice. Um, And the word that I want to share this morning, um, it it works in really well with what I've been sharing about, this idea of Jesus transforming our trials. But the word is this. Following Jesus is more about abiding than arriving. Following Jesus is more about abiding than arriving. I'm going to unpack it a little bit for us. Because in John's Gospel, chapter 15, John records Jesus teaching his disciples and he uses this word abide. In fact, he uses it 11 times. And so when we hear from God, we want to actually check it with Scripture and make sure it's, it's in line with everything God has already revealed in Scripture. 
And so in John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, uses this illustration, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he goes on, and, and it's a really beautiful, long chapter of Jesus teaching um, all about relationship with him. And so this, this word, church, is following Jesus more about abiding than arriving. I love the way um, Eugene Peterson puts it. He's the author of the Message Translation of the Bible, which many of you, I know, read. And he describes following Jesus like this. He calls it a long obedience... Sorry, I had a mental blank. He calls it a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Now, as you guys know, we recently had some holidays. We went up to Sunshine Coast and had a lovely time um, hanging out together as a family. And as we know, getting up to the Sunshine Coast, it's at least one flight away. We flew straight to Sunshine Coast. And it's a two and a half hour flight. And with an active, busy very energetic toddler in tow, um, who, like all toddlers, isn't at her best in a cooped up space that's very confined. Um, if I'm really honest, when I thought about the plane trip, I spent a lot of the plane trip thinking about the moment we would arrive. <laughs> thinking about the moment we would be at the airport and Zoe could once again be running around and free and not constrained by space. That was the thing that was on my mind a lot of the journey. <laughs> And you know, so often in our Christian walk, we can be tempted to think that we need to have arrived in order to be something or mean something or have um, something to offer. You know, some of us, we think, oh, I don't know enough about Jesus in my life to talk about my faith at work. Some of us, we might think, oh, I haven't been a Christian long enough to invite a friend to Alpha because, well, what if I don't have the answers? You don't need to have the answers at Alpha, by the way. It's more about questions, which is good. Um, Maybe some of you think, you know, I don't pray enough for God to be powerfully at work doing a miracle in my life. Um, But discipleship to Jesus, I want to say this morning, is not about arriving and having made it and having it together and being perfect and having all your theological ducks in a row. Discipleship to Jesus is about abiding. It's about a choice we make every second, every moment, every hour, every day. And we do need to refresh, don't we? Because we so often stray away. It's about a choice we make to listen to Jesus' voice, to do the things that Jesus did, to be like him. There's some of you here today and you've had trials. You've had times in your life where you've wanted to give up. Or when following Jesus has felt costly or inconvenient or uncomfortable. And I'd hazard a guess to say this was just the tip of the iceberg of what John the Baptist was experiencing as he received news of his plight, that his life was coming to an end. His discipleship to Jesus was going to cost him his life. And we know Jesus, as he got closer to the day of his death, He wept tears of blood in the garden, knowing he was about to endure for us, to bring redemption to the whole world. He was about to endure the most harrowing of deaths. 
But the encouragement I want to bring today is to say to each one of us, to say to you, that following Jesus is more about abiding than arriving. Now, over the month of March, um, we missed Callie because Callie went on a bit of a pilgrimage. Is that right, Callie? What we're calling it. Um, and Callie um, left home in Melbourne and went on a journey over the whole month walking and listening to Jesus. When I shared with Callie or chatted with Callie before she left, she said, I'm taking my Bible, I'm taking my phone. I think mainly that was to read the Bible and keep in touch a little bit here and there. But Callie went on this pilgrimage. And I think if, if any of us are after at coffee today said to Callie, you know, what was more important, arriving back in Melbourne at the end of March and coming to Easter, which was awesome, by the way, or the 30 days that you had listening to God and hearing his voice and opening his word, I know what Callie would say. She'd say it was that journey. It was the abiding. It was the, the time being with God and taking time away from her usual um, day-to-day responsibilities to, to have that retreat and a pilgrimage time. And abiding, it's not a, 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 a passive posture. It's actually a really active posture. Sometimes you can think of the word abide and you think, oh, it's just being alongside. It's just being there. But actually abiding, the abiding Jesus is talking about in John 15, is actually very active and relational. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing a letter to the Philippian church, he wrote these words, and they um, are appropriate as we're in the Commonwealth Games now. He said, I press on to reach the goal, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This idea of pressing on, of enduring, of um, persevering was the idea I wanted to share and speak around today. Now, I don't know exactly what season you're in. Maybe you feel you are in a desert season. If that's you, I want to encourage you in that season to abide with Jesus, to stay close, to stay close. Some of the most defining personal moments of um, of people in the Bible happened in a desert, in a desert. For Moses, for David, for Jesus, for, uh, for Paul, they all had pivotal encounters with God in a desert. And so if you're in a desert, you're in the right place, you're abiding, you're being with church community, you're seeking to meet with God in that place. Um, I picked up a new phrase this week, and it was a phrase I heard on a podcast. You might already know this phrase. If you do, then you're ahead of me. It's a new phrase that I heard, and the phrase is this, you do you. Has anyone heard that phrase, you do you? Okay, it must be a cutting-edge phrase. There's a couple of hands. Basically, it means you do what is best for the person you are wanting to be. Turn to your neighbour and say, you do you. It's quite a cool phrase, isn't it? Sort of part irritating, part awesome phrase. But when it comes to abiding with Jesus and staying close to Jesus, we can sometimes think and fall into this trap of thinking, oh, you know, if I can just do this Bible reading plan or if I can just, you know, listen to this worship album that my friend told me about or memorise this scripture like my friend does, I will be able to stay close to Jesus. But I want to encourage us today, you do you. I want to encourage you to experiment and find the ways that you stay close to Jesus. 
What are the times you felt you've really been abiding with Jesus? What have you been doing in those times? Whether it be spending time in silence, spending time out in creation, listening to music, unplugging from technology. I've been doing a lot of unplugging lately. It's been great. Chances are it's probably so many other things and a mix of those things for you. But whatever it is that keeps you abiding with Jesus, church, do that. You do you. You do what it is that brings you close to Jesus and keeps you abiding. A few weeks ago, we had Story Sunday, and on that Sunday, Jason shared a little of his recent journey following Jesus and abiding with Jesus. And it was really powerful when Jason shared that through the continued setbacks and trials he has in his health journey, he said, I don't spit the dummy, and I don't say, that's it, God. I am hanging in there. I find it really hard some days. I don't feel like doing or saying anything. But Jesus gets me through each day. And you know, that's abiding. That's choosing to follow Jesus. I was having a coffee with someone in our church recently and they were sharing with me that recently they've been fighting their discipleship to Jesus is really hard. Um, They were sharing with me that in previous seasons of their life with Jesus, there has been a sense of ease. There's been a sense of things being relatively um, you know, smooth going and hearing his voice, um, opening scripture. None of that's felt like a massive challenge. But right now, following Jesus for them is hard. But as we chatted more um, and the conversation continued on, I heard this person share some of the things that they're actually doing in their life um, to stay close to Jesus. They shared that they're reading their Bible, Big tick there. They're listening to some really thoughtful podcasts. They're praying. They're reading Christian books. They're abiding. They're abiding. And so this idea of of setbacks and and trials being normal is there, but also this idea that we are invited to abide in every season. We are, believe it or not, a quarter of the way into the year already. And as I thought about this week, I thought it's a good time to stop and review um, and to, to hit the refresh button and ask, what am I doing to stay close to Jesus? And to also ask, what are some of the things that are getting in the way of me following Jesus? What are some of the things that might be entangling me from following Jesus fully? Um, it's easy to get distracted. There's a, a famous English minister called John Don, and he said this, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly. You know, the call to follow Jesus is a call to endure and to stay the path and also to choose to weed out distraction, to weed out the things that might distract us from following him and abiding. The writer to Hebrews puts it this way, let us throw off everything that easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This idea of of enduring, abiding, of of, um, continuing on in whatever season is strong in Hebrews. So church, Let's be encouraged by God's word today to keep abiding, whether through trial or whether through a really sweet season of life. 
Keep abiding. And if you are in a time of trial, keep watch. And you will see Jesus at work. You are going to see Jesus transform you through the time that you are in. And if you're going to come out of it, you're going to look back and see all he has done. Sometimes he takes away our trials. But sometimes in his mystery, they remain. And yet God is with us, just like Psalm 23 speaks. He is with us as our shepherd. Um, a different podcast I was listening to this week um, talked about the need to regroup at regular intervals in life, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And, um, and we need to do that, don't we? We need to regroup. And he said on the podcast, a change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. And some of us have had holidays recently. Some of us are about to go on holiday. But a change of place, going on a holiday is great for this. But you don't need to go on a holiday to have a change of perspective. You can spend 20 minutes at Williamstown Beach or in the Botanic Gardens or in your back garden or in your front room or wherever it is that you like to go. Um, But have a change of pace. Stop. We from these and, and listen and, and abide and see how Jesus meets you where you are. Just a couple of verses after our passage today, Jesus says to his disciples, and we're going to look at it next week, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Get some rest. As a way of responding to God today, we're going to rest now. We're going to abide. We're going to be in his presence church together. And as a way of inviting each of us to pray and connect with God and do business with God, maybe there's some things you want to say, maybe you just want to listen to God. We're going to listen to a song now. It's a song called Ocean. Some of you will know it. And it's a song of surrender. It's a song of trust. And you might want to track along with the words and, and use them as a prayer. But you may want to, to just listen and, and close your eyes and enter in to abiding, some moments of abiding and being with God. We want church to be a place of rest, not activity only. We want rest and activity and a good balance. So I invite you, church, to intentionally use these next few minutes to pray, to meet with God, Spend time listening to God, whatever it is that you feel you'd like to do in these moments. This is going to be our time of community prayer as well. And so, church, let's listen to this song and let's, as as intentionally as we can, posture ourselves in these next three, three or so minutes towards God, towards abiding, towards trying to put away distraction, all those things. I'm going to pray for us now as we enter into this time of prayer. So, God, I thank you that you have been meeting with us this morning. We thank you that your spirit is with us and is speaking something new to our church today. And he's speaking your truth, your reality, your goodness, your love over us individually and corporately. And so now as we listen to this song and enter into this time of prayer, would you, by your spirit, posture our hearts to abide with you. May we not think we have to do a lot right now, but may we remember we can simply abide and be with you and hear from you and relate with you and have you be our Father in this time.